Ethan and Benjamin Castle are Americans. Watching the footy. Liam Ryan saying kick it my way. I want to jump over the pack and here he comes. Oh, Ryan! This is Buddy Franklin! This is the greatest showman! Got the handball off to Myers. Myers looking for the lead of Stengel. Gee, they're good. Gee, they're sharp. Razzle Dazzle Rioli. Oh, who else? McDonald. Timberwolf. From inside the centre square. Welcome to episode 85 of Americans Watching the Footy, episode 13 of season 2. This is our round 4 preview. I am Benjamin Castle, alongside my brother Ethan in South San Francisco, California. Sonia loves cancer-free. And there was much rejoicing. In all seriousness, though, actual much rejoicing for that. We saw that news just before we started recording early Wednesday morning here, late Wednesday morning Australia. Well, not as late, I guess, because they're off daylight savings time now, but awesome news. Sony's been super cool with fan outreach in general, and we need more people like her. Also, she follows us. Yes. And if you're listening, thank you for that as well, Sonia. Now, North do play earlier on this round, so we'll be getting to talk about them pretty quickly here, but... First, we got a Thursday nighter that I believe was also a Thursday nighter last year in round five. This time it starts round four, that being Brisbane and Collingwood at the Gabba. Was round five the Easter round last year? I think it was, yeah. Because that's when Hawthorne beat Geelong. Yep. Yeah. Is it just some Holy Thursday thing? So we just looked and it seems like it's typically been a, you know, I guess, what, Holy Thursday or the Thursday before Easter, whatever you may call it, thing where Collingwood goes up to the Gabba? I think it's been this way since 2019. It wasn't in 2020, but that season was kind of messed up for all sorts of reasons, so... Kinda. But the Easter-Thursday clash returns, I guess, then. 7.35 p.m. local bounce at the Gabba. So 5.35 a.m. Eastern, 2.35 a.m. Pacific for us American viewers. And we'll be able to find it on Fox Sports 2. I'm kind of looking forward to the game starting an hour later for us on I guess, early Thursday morning and Friday morning. Because I can like sleep a little beforehand instead of fall asleep during. I like my chances better. And I can also just get a bit more sleep before the game. And then will be a quicker turnaround for me to get to work. Lions enter at 1-2 and two in 14th after losing at the Bulldogs. Collingwood entered 3-0, one of two teams at 3-0, and one of three undefeated teams. They are in second on the ladder after they defeated Richmond. These teams met, like we said, Easter round last year, which was round five, a seven-point Brisbane win at the Gabba. I remember them leading by more and then Collingwood pushing back. The big vibe from that one, though, was Collingwood sending all their talls forward and it not quite sticking, while Brisbane were pretty accurate. But back in round three, 2021... They met twice in 2021. They had to swap the venues because of COVID lockdowns in Queensland. And Brisbane didn't seem to mind. They won by a point after Zach Bailey hit a goal after the siren. The Lions have actually won the last four meetings between these clubs. 
I think that was the first after the siren goal that I got to experience in real time. You didn't see Jack News after the siren 2020? I don't, th- I think that might have been when I was out of town or something. Well, there, I, there was news and there was also Robbie Gray, I think, that year. I think I saw both of those live. Let's see, no noons. I might have been watching baseball because it was, I don't know. I don't remember the noons one distinctly. And he clearly don't remember Robbie Gray's. And Robbie Gray, I think that was like the night I was driving back from my road trip. Okay, excused. But anyway, it was still cool because it was like, you realize as soon as Bailey Markson is like, oh shit, this is about to happen, huh? And it's just like, everyone on your feet, here we go. Which was really neat because I compare that to a goal line play at the end of a football game or like, you know, a potential buzzer beater in basketball where like there's build up for a while and it's like, you know, this is what it's coming down to. The difference when you're at the stadium is because the clock's counting up there, you're not going to really know that it's after the siren until, you know, you hear the damn siren. But people seem to have a good sense generally. Yeah, they do. Maybe also they could see like the the one minute signs being held up from the for the benches. Lions will be coming into this one probably a little less shorthanded because Daniel Rich is likely to return after nursing an ankle injury last week. More likely to return than Darcy Gardner is. His quad is still presenting some issues. The big thing for Brisbane selection is that I think Darcy Ford is at real risk of being dropped. Not nearly as impactful this past week than he was against Melbourne. And also, you know, Collingwood don't have a true ruck. So maybe Noah Answorth could play a full game. He replaced Ford as a sub in their VFL win against Footscray. Reese Madison, Devin Robertson, and James Tunstall were all good in the middle third and a bit forward. And in defense, I want to mention Ryan Lester, not just because he's my sleeper pick for the year, but also I think Dara Joyce might need to be dropped after a subpar performance last Thursday. Reese Matheson destroyed the VFL last year and should have been in there sooner. Don't make the same mistake again. And Robertson had some good performances at both levels last year. If they want to keep Robertson around, because this is his contract year and he, and he is from the West, maybe that will be another kind of ulterior motive for getting him in. Now on Collingwood's side, we know that Darcy Cameron's out six to eight weeks with an MCL injury. Mason Cox's status is still unclear, but maybe that's just because I haven't listened to the latest episode of his podcast, which is out. So they might not have a true Ruckman. Aiden Begg is not available. And it sounds like they're not calling up Oscar Steen so soon. So it's going to be Dan McStay and then either Ash Johnson or Billy Frampton after him. You know, if you get clearances, it really doesn't matter if you're winning the hitouts. Just the problem is... Is more, you got to find a tall that can match up with Oscar McInerney because he's one of the few Ruckman that can actually kick pretty well. That's why maybe Frampton might be playing a little bit further forward to play against McInerney in kind of a fuller field role so I could see Frampton getting a decent amount of Ruck time so he could be matching up more against him. Also with how slowly Joe Danaher and Eric Hip would have started the year, maybe that matchup could make even more sense. Danaher and Hip would have been lousy, but I also want to mention how little I've noticed Jack Gunston. I mean, he did kick three last week in the third quarter, but you kind of slept through that. Yeah, but even so, it was like the first time really. It took, you know, two and a half games before it was like, oh yeah, they have Jack Gunston now. Other things to mention for Collingwood should be a return for Reef McInnes, who I go on about all the time. I think he's awesome. Not just because his name is really cool. 
three goals in the VFL after being the sub the first two rounds at the top flight. I don't know if he's going to be like a permanent sub or if he's going to get into a bigger role. And then I don't know how long they plan on keeping Jack Ginnon in the VFL, but he scored twice and Oleg Markov seems to have played down there as well. Yeah, Ginnivan could be an interesting sub pick, actually. Having him as a spark late game, getting on people's nerves near the end of things while still having fresh legs, that could actually be a really fun role for Ginnivan to get back into the AFL side. I'm I'm here for this. As for Markov, Markov just had a sound game of defense. I went back and looked at some of the VFL matchups for that. Him being physical could help compensate for some of the absences. Collingwood are favored by 10.5, even with the GABA advantage for the line. That makes sense. I have Collingwood... Well, my tipping has been garbage, but I've got them by like 6 or 7. I mean, my tipping hasn't been any better, but Collingwood by less than 2 goals just makes sense. I just want the Lions to look like a complete team because I have such high hopes for them, and we've seen it for 3 quarters... Maybe one quarter against Port Adelaide as well. So like out of the first 12 quarters, three or four, depending on what you thought of the second quarter in round one. High ceiling, low floor, way lower than I expected. I had a bit of a concern about how well they could truly defend. And Andrews with Starsevich supporting can't be the only piece there. So get other faces in there to see if they can work alongside those couple. And hopefully Connor McKenna can actually be more of a defensive contributor as well, as well as Cameron Rayner. Anything in particular you're looking for in this game other than that Dan McStay is going to play against the Lions? I mean, I'm excited about that. I'm liking more and more of McStay as a full field player because I'm just noticing him more this year. And look, another full game out of Ash Johnson in all likelihood means that we should see something that kind of makes our eyes widen because Ash Johnson just is a natural highlight reel. You know, I think McStay playing all over the ground is just kind of what this entire Collingwood team does. You know, I wouldn't say it's quite positionless, but there's a lot of fluidity there. Fluidity, but everyone's still playing their role. Like, I think of Gidevin and maybe Johnson as, like, the only ones that don't typically go, like, all over. Who's Braden Maynard gonna have a bit of a, as Andrew Gaze might say, argy-bargy this week? Zorko, easy pick. Just a bit of banter. These teams also play round 23, which, remember, is not the final round now at the MCG. Yeah. Still not quite used to that, even though round 24 has existed before. Hey, um, I guess future Benjamin and future Ethan here, not super far future, but we actually have the lineups for the Thursday nighter out before we finish our recording session. Simple switches. You got Jackson Pryor in for Darcy Fort for Brisbane and Reef McGinnis in for Darcy Cameron for Collingwood. So may just see the same subs as last week, Answorth and Carmichael. I think Gidevin would still be a really inspired choice. I would be in favor of that because, again, chaos. I'm surprised Answorth isn't in. I'm surprised Matheson isn't in. Maybe Pryor being a little bit bigger is part of that decision. <laughs> So on Friday, we've got the Good Friday Super Clash. Well, that's what we have officially call it. But Ethan, what do you and I know this game as? The Not Mackay Bowl. Yup, this is Not Mackay Bowl 6 if you're counting since they debuted. It will be 8 if you're counting since they drafted both of them in 2015. But yeah, I'm going with debut just because like 
it wasn't a story until they both started at Vice. Whichever one debuts first, then it becomes, you know, oh, hey, his brother's on the list for this team. And then when he finally comes up. So I think we got to count it from there. And it will be not Mackay Bowl again because Ben has already been ruled out. I mean, of course, you can't play for both teams in a game. Yeah, North Melbourne and Carlton. Now, remember, it used to be the dogs, but I guess North wanted a more competitive game. I don't know. I don't know. I think they were just tired of getting their asses kicked. I mean, we expect them to get their asses kicked again. I don't know. I think they could make this competitive. I'm considering that they're going to be hopefully more complete than last week. I, I think their chances are fairer. Not in the back without Mikhail and Logue. Yes, but still, you get Davies Uniac and Simpkin back. But um, I've said for a while the same thing that I've seen people say about the Detroit Lions. Like, if you don't win your big holiday game every few years, you shouldn't have one. Like, I get that it's all part of the Good Friday appeal stuff, but win a game. North have lost four of the last five Good Friday matches they've played, and a lot of times they've gotten the shit stomped out of them, including that one where Josh Bruce kicked, like, what, 10? Yeah, 10. That was two years ago. My bigger complaint is that there isn't a second game afterwards because it would help us avoid having overlaps this round. This one will be at 4.20 p.m. in Australian Eastern Time, 2.20 a.m. on the East Coast of the United States, and then for those of us on the West Coast, it'll be 11.20 p.m. on Thursday. So this is actually the first of two weeks in a row where we will have a Friday afternoon game because we've got one next week from Norwood Oval in the... I hope we keep using that soundbite a decent amount after the Gather round. has passed. For our preview show for, for the Gather round. and our Gather round. recap, I want to keep track of how many times we use it. If it's not too much trouble on the YouTube video, there needs to be a little counter in the corner. All right, I, I will take note. This will be a Fox Soccer Plus broadcast here in the United States, by the way. North enter at 2-1 and one and in 7th. After their loss to Hawthorne and Launceston, Carlton enter in third at 2-0-1 after cutting it close against the Giants and being helped by that 50. But also, they could have kicked their asses. Remember, they kicked 9-20. That said, I think like the sentiment around the Blues fan base was appropriate. It was, let's never speak of this again and just be glad we got out of here with the four points. Yeah, I think I saw Blue Abroad talking about that. Like, I've not particularly fond of Carlton. I don't know what it is about him, but their fans seem to be pretty sensible and level-headed, which I wouldn't expect for a team that kind of has like that Toronto Maple Leafs vibe, because like Maple Leafs fans overreact to everything. It's almost that time of year where the Maple Leafs disappoint everyone again and lose in the first round. It would be awesome if Tampa beats them in the first round again. Back to the footy, North lost to Carlton by 50 points when they played last year in round Seven. That was technically a Carlton home game at Marvel Stadium. That was, I guess, not Mackay Bowl 5. As you mentioned, Ethan, Jai Simpkin will return after serving his suspension for striking Caleb Sarong. Luke Davies-Uniak is expected back after being a late out with a calf complaint. That was really where they lost last week's game. I think that's fair. I mentioned, though, that Griffin Logue will be out. He was suspended for a bump of Will Day. So, it's a real defensive headache for North to try to figure out who they can get in there. I mean, Aiden Core, I guess. 
Aiden Bonner was strong in their reserves win against Southport. So it's reported that he's likely to be playing against Charlie Kernow, according to Riley Beveridge on the In the Mix article. What's a Bonner? Could see Callan Dawson come in in defense as well. Should also note that George Wardlaw doesn't look to be too far away from making his AFL debut after another strong VFL day. Uh, I don't know what they expect out of Miller Bergman, but this is this is going to be tough. They could get really overwhelmed. If Charlie kicks accurately, it could be really overwhelming really quickly. And you would think it's going to even out some after last week. That's usually how these things work. Or maybe that was him making up for his accuracy against Geelong. I mean, they were mostly pretty easy shots mm-hmm. against Geelong. But I'd love to see if, just because he's so good at everything, Harry Sheasel all of a sudden is, like, taking on being forwards one-on-one and winning, which wouldn't surprise me. Put the man on stilts, he could probably run at normal speed and mark everything. Blake Akers will not be part of this game for Carlton. He injured his shoulder and is suspended a game for... A bump on Brent Daniels. That occurred in, I think, the last minute of clock yes. time. Very last minute. So you said Lockie O'Brien would be a logical sub there. I mean, he was the sub the first two weeks, and he'd just be logical to come into the main 22 on the wing. And then Matthew Kennedy, if he's back from his calf injury, could replace Matthew Owies because they'd have too many Matthews otherwise. Owies hurt his hamstring in the second quarter at the showground after a two-goal first quarter. The small forwards were driving pretty much everything for Carlton offensively. And if Kennedy isn't healthy, maybe Jack Martin could make it back. But Kennedy's the more logical option. And for the reserves, Patty Dow was their best of field in a loss to the Giants, which was a curtain raiser for the AFL game. I'd like to see what happens with both Kennedy and Hewitt in there, hopefully, because they're Pretty similar players in some respects, but I'd like to be able to watch them and just kind of get a sense and appreciation for what differs them from each other. I think if Hewitt is a more inside player, this is why Cripps has carried so much of the load, kind of as that gut and corridor runner. There's a reason he had 42 disposals last week. Would allow him to do a bit more forward work if you get Kennedy back in there. Blues are listed as 25 and a half point favorites on Bovada, and I'd be inclined to push it a little higher because of my worries about Carlton just overpowering North and their forward 50. That said, I think some of it's just, you know, people reacting to North's loss last week and not realizing they were missing two of their best players. At the start of the year, I would have thought they're two best. Now I would say two of their three best, considering what Sheasel's done in his first three games. A uh, bit of a downgrade last week. Didn't get to 30 again. Close to dropping. Thinking. Not stunning and brave. It's going to be another four-game Saturday because we don't have a late Friday game, which disappoints me. But I like what this opening Saturday game is. You said often, even that there aren't many first Saturday games that really get you super excited to be watching right away. Yeah, I think, and I meant to mention this earlier, there aren't a lot of games this round altogether that like jump off the page as Jimmy Rustlers or Giblet Ticklers, but I think this one, this one kind of does. Adelaide versus Frio at the Adelaide Oval, a mess of time zones that we've got written down here because it's five of them. Try to do them all in one breath, play, you know, singing the names of all of Heyman's children. 
Ah, yes. For those of you who don't know, in the Megillah, which is the scroll that's read during the Jewish holiday of Purim, all the names of the villain children are listed near the end, I think, before they're all executed? I think so. Yeah, I think that's it. And the cantor is supposed to recite them all in one breath. So uh, let's do this. It's a 1.15 p.m. local start in Adelaide, so it's 11.45 p.m. for Western viewers, 1.45 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time on the Pacific Seaboard. For Americans, 11.45 p.m. Eastern, 8.45 p.m. Pacific. Fox Soccer Plus Game. Okay, the um, he had 10 kids, by the way, so... I mean, he was busy, but he didn't get, like, you know, Nick Cannon or NBA Youngboy levels. Antonio Cromartie. So what makes this game so interesting... Isn't just how it went last year. Awesome round one game. The one that Benjamin thinks about from the bathtub. Unfortunately, the savior of that game for Frio won't be in for this one, so no chance at a repeat from him. But also, these are teams in pretty similar spots to start the year. Lost their first two games, won this past round in their rivalry games. Adelaide is in 11th, Frio in 9th. Again, and obviously Adelaide's win impresses us more because... Their opponent didn't get decimated by injuries, and it was an away showdown, and they did it without Darcy Fogarty and with Tex Walker hardly being impactful. If you haven't seen Showdown 53 yet, go back and watch it. Hell of a game. Yeah, the final score implies it wasn't so tight, but it was a down-the-wire game. You know, it was Three really... and a half quarters of back-and-forth footy, at least. Yeah, and then, you know, uh, like a convincing final act. Reminder, last year was a one-point win for Frio at the Adelaide Oval in round one. Frio were woefully inaccurate, kicking 11-17, but Heath Chapman preserved the lead for him by spoiling away what would have been either a game-tying or game-winning kick, depending on just... I remember because I was in Indiana in the Eastern time zone. I had slept through some of that game and I woke up with like two minutes left and I got to see the end. Were you pretty loud when you reacted? or were... No, I was still like not fully awake, but it was like, whoa. That was that was about all. It was like, just not the, that, that, that really happened. Just not the kind of play you expect to see at the end of a game. Frio have actually won the last three meetings against the Crows. None of them have been out West. Adelaide have to make a change because Luke Pedlark was suspended a game for a sling tackle of Dan Houston, and he's had a very nice start to the season, finally healthy for the start of the season. I think he's been phenomenal. He's done such a good job setting up their forward group. He's been one of their best players to this point, and I thought last week was probably his least effective game. The rest of the forwards were so good that they still scored 117. So... Maybe he will be missed. Maybe you'll see Isaac Reichen doing a bit more setup work now because he did a nice job for that in the back half of last year for the Suns. Also, I can imagine Chase Jones doing that because I expect he'll slide into the 22 after doing a nice job as the sub last round and scoring a goal. And you know what? Maybe that also create a couple more set shot opportunities for Walker just because they haven't been there. I mean, other guys have done great. It's not like you look at their forward group as a reason for either of their losses. I mean, their inaccuracy kind of for GWS. Yes, but still, they the forwards play well enough for them to win that game. Fogarty remains unlikely another week probably necessary for him to recover from his knee injury. 
Sam Barry is concerned with a calf injury. So a few options are there to come into the side because they swept the showdowns, having won pretty convincingly in the Sandful Curtain Razor. Harry Schoenberg was excellent, and you kind of obsess over him. Yes, because he's not built like anyone else in the league. He doesn't have that sort of footballer build, I guess. Yeah, like, much more of a rugby build or a... What? You just think that because he doesn't have much of a neck? Or maybe more of like a beer league hockey build, frankly. And I like that. I like athletes that don't look like athletes. Or athletes that just don't look like athletes for their particular sport. Because Mac Andrew looks like an athlete, just not a footy player. But Mac Crouch was really involved in his return from injury through the reserves. Andrew McPherson, Jackson Hately, and Tyler Brown were also noted as being among Adelaide's best. So... Options are there, Ed. I wanted to keep putting games into the younger players because by next year, they ought to be real finals contenders with the promise they have and also how they've actually started these past few seasons all right before just trailing off late. They need to realize their potential, as I said at the end of our recap of Showdown 53. They still need to figure out a lot more defensively. Yes, but... Got younger pieces that can factor in there between Max Michelini and Josh Worrell, who is still on the sidelines. He won't be back for another week or two. The problem is you need at least six defenders, and that's that's two. With those two in, I think they're closer to there than they are not. I do get the feeling that once Josh Worrell is in, it'll be like, ah, that's why he's so important. Just like you'll compare the way they play with and without him. And even if they're a team that you aren't watching super closely, it'll be it'll be pretty obvious. On the Frio side, looks like, like we said, no Heath Chapman. He's got the calf injury and Nat Fife still out with the plantar fasciitis. They could move Ethan Hughes back to defense, which would allow Matt Johnson to play a full game as a midfielder. He debuted as a sub last week. By the way, Huge respect for the Frio fans getting excited for him coming in and getting his first touch and stuff. Like, that's a sign of a smart crowd that's paying attention. And I like that. Other options include Will Brody, who was the weird omission last week. It worked. Not super convincingly until the fourth quarter, but it worked. I mean, was omitting Will Brody what got all those Eagles players injured? I don't know. Neil Erasmus also an option. I've wanted to see more of him, as I've said. Nathan O'Driscoll did play, just wasn't super impactful, I think. He'll get into things, though, and if Ethan Hughes goes back to defense, then not only Johnson could get more middle third time, but also O'Driscoll could have a more prominent wing role. I think that's just a guy, you gotta let him run on the wing. It's a niche position that not that many guys know how to play. He's one who knows how to play it. Max Holmes is another, we think. The coaches don't seem to think so because they keep playing Holmes in the middle and playing Tanner Brune on the wing which is stupid, bass backwards. But more on the Cats later. We'll just say for now, Crows are favored by four and a half. If you're looking at, if you're looking at the team's forms of the first three rounds, I can get behind this. Although I'm still not convinced about my tip of the Crows. I tip Frio. Just about a third have tipped the Dockers. That said, now that I think about it, it's like, are the Crows really going to fall to 0-2 at home? Even though, yes, they do have a win at the Adelaide Oval, but, like, the home field advantage at Showdown is real, or at least in terms of the crowd makeup. It's it's there in the Western Derby, too. I, I wish you, some of these games had more of, like, a real 50-50 crowd like you get at the G. I think that would be sick. I don't know. I appreciate just how much of a home field 
feel it is, though, for Port, especially in the showdown. But this is a tough game to figure out. And, like, if Frio had taken care of business in one of their first two games, you would be able to look at this from their perspective and be like, all right, it would be nice to win this one, but losing it wouldn't be the end of the world. Now, though, with their schedule not looking any easier, yeah, the fact that they can fall to one and three is alarming. Again, what I like about this game is there are so many possible outcomes I can consider. I think this one ends up pretty close. Do you see any way Frio wins this one like in a landslide? Because I can see the Crows kind of just having far more offensive talent, but I'm trying to think of what it would look like for Frio to win this game by a lot. Caleb Sarong, dominant in contests again. Andrew Brayshaw, more active from the beginning. And Luke Jackson playing his first full good game for the Dockers would all be necessary, I think. Jackson did get into things in the Western Derby. He kicked two goals, and they're really sticking with him to be playing through the middle. So having him going up against, like, O'Brien and Laird should be fun. Sloan as well. A lot of just bigger players in the middle for Adelaide, and so... Those matchups for Luke Jackson should be interesting watches. And just, I look forward to this game because, again, you could throw so many possible outcomes at me, and I just think, okay, okay, that that seems reasonable. It's it's fun entering a game having zero preconceived notions of what's going to happen, which isn't the case all that often. I think it's actually somewhat of the case for Richmond and the Bulldogs because... Richmond are still going to be somewhat shorthanded, and the Bulldogs are coming off a surprise win against the Lions. They're still 16th on the ladder just because of how poorly they kicked in the first couple games. Richmond are 8th, having had all three possible results already. This is the middle game on Saturday, and so it has the normal 4.35 p.m. start. So it's 2.35 a.m. Eastern on Saturday the 8th, 11.35 p.m. Pacific on Friday the 7th. This is another Fox Soccer Plus telecast. And it's the second year in a row that these teams are meeting in round four. Richmond won that game by 38 last year because the dogs kicked 7-19. Yes, 7-19. And I believe they had kicked 9-17 the previous week. Oh yeah, they were they were one and three at that point. Hmm. Sounds familiar. Are we gonna need to bring out the are you screwdometer again for them? I don't know. I'm I'm not sure what to think. But last week at least they showed, despite getting a lot of help from Brisbane not being able to finish off possessions offensively, they looked like a team with a rock-solid defense that can take you a really long way and can beat elite competition. So they quieted some of my concerns. Alex Keith with easily his best game thus far. Ed Richards also prominent, and he signed a two-year extension this week, so he'll be staying with the Dogs through 2025. And Ryan Tika Masala Gardner wasn't in that side because he was still coming back from injury. Played in the VFL, but is there really a spot for him between how well Keith Richards and Josh Bruce did? That's a good problem to have. Josh Bruce starting to get comfortable in that role. I'd still rather have him forward and not in back, but maybe there's a long-term vision that, you know, if the idea was like, all right, we have, there's going to be some early growing pains, but they think the Long-term vision is worth it. How long-term can it be, though, with Josh Bruce being 30? I mean, like, within the course of this season? Okay. 
a lot of options offensively for the Bulldogs as well after Sam Darcy responded really well to his omission and had three goals in the first quarter of their VFL game. Ryland West also had three goals and Mitch Hannon had two. So another sort of list dilemma for the dogs there. Should also note that another piece of defense should be available as Taylor DeRay seems to be clear of the illness that kept him out from the Thursday night or last round. I thought he was also very bad in round two, him and Crozier both. Crozier bounced back very nicely against the Lions. On Richmond's side, Dustin Martin should be back from his hamstring injury. Jacob Hopper should be back from his knee injury, which would mean Noah Cumberland probably falls out of the side, even though he's played pretty well. Did nice things as the sub last round. Maybe have him in that sort of role again. Robbie Terrence coming back from a hip injury. He played VFL, so maybe he comes in for Hugo Ralph-Smith if they want to go taller defensively, which would make sense considering the way the Bulldogs are constructed. And also because Tyler Young had a better game last round, so I don't think you'd take him out. Again, I love we love the run that Ralph Smith provides, but it would I make love watching him. And his name makes sense as to how it's spelled as opposed to Tyler Young's. Tyler. Uh, yes, it's probably a pronunciation thing as well. It's it's probably not. It's probably just Tyler, but I'm going to pretend it's Tyler and just enjoy that. And it will help you remember how to spell it. Tigers have won the last three meetings and they're not in a half point favorites here. What do you think of this spread? I think they might win this game by a lot more. I think if the Bulldogs win, it's by no more than like 15. So because of that, I think it kind of makes sense as a sort of average. I'd probably still push this one out another three or four points in the Tigers' favor. Maybe into the three-goal range, not super sure. I think 11.5 is the first I'd be setting a line on this. I think a lot of it is, you know, Martin and Hopper will be back, but how... Back will they be? Will they be a hundred percent? You could still talk me up to like thirteen and a half. Just a big difference for me, and just kind of stretching it out to another goal. I just think the other thing here is you've got one team that we both perceive as very well coached, and one that we perceive as not. And that Damian Hardwick has managed to really find the right spots at the right times for his pieces to be moved about is really impressive, considering the versatility of a lot of his list including Liam Baker, who has been one of their best throughout the first three rounds. I'm also glad we're getting a rematch in round 21 between these two. Firstly, because it'll mean Richmond will have to play at Marvel. And secondly, because I can see these teams both fighting for similar spots on the ladder come the end of the season. Now, I think since it's not technically their home game, they probably won't complain about it that much, I think. Look, this is our this is the one thing we get on Dima about. I mean, it's it's their whole club. It's not just him. He's the mouthpiece, though. The Saints have no qualms about playing home games at Marvel, though. Yeah, that's their home for pretty much everything that's not sold to someone else or 150th anniversary celebration. Love what they did last week from the ceremony on to most of the game they played aside from the earlier part of the fourth quarter because it really did feel like they sh- they won by more than 18, I think. It was a hard game to define, honestly. You also weren't watching it that closely, though. From what I, what I got out of it, you know, you looked at it from the Essendon side, and it was easy enough to 
comprehend. It was just didn't start the game and then ran out of steam after coming back. Like I said in the recap, I have a lot of respect for the Saints being able to come through and win that game. And most of all, that they didn't even fall behind and just counter the moment it was tied. I I did think that was really impressive. I agree with that because at that point, it really felt like Essendon were starting to take over. They had a lot of connections that they didn't make earlier on, just starting to flow better. And then St. Kilda responded the right way. Meanwhile, the Suns... Didn't play all that well, but they won. Next. This one will bounce at 7.30 p.m. local time. That's 5.30 a.m. on the East Coast, 2.30 a.m. on the West Coast. So Saturday for almost the entire world. It'll be a Fox Soccer Plus game. Guess I might as well also mention the Saints are atop the ladder. First time they're starting around in first since round five of 2010. And the fact that their percentage is 150 is just all the more fitting. Screenshot this, hold on to it, enjoy it, because I don't think it lasts that much longer. Like, not to not to take away anything from what they're doing. They've earned a couple of nice wins, don't get me wrong, but you don't think it's sustainable, even with how battered they are at the moment. After this week, Collingwood, Carlton, Port, then it softens up a little bit, and then out of the bye, it's really bad with at Sydney, Richmond, Princeton. They've got their work cut out for them, despite having started so well. What what I've said pretty much the whole way is I can't see them being much better than they've been. And if you're worried about it, you know, you got to hit your stride at the right time. This wouldn't be the right time. And I think... This is a blueprint that shows teams, like, hey, this is what the Saints are going to look like at their best. I mean, if they can do this week in and week out, they can beat anyone. That said, I think there are versions of other teams at their best that are better than the version of the Saints at their best. And again, it's like, how long do you expect them to keep this up? As much as, as much as I hate to sound super negative about this, because I like how they've been playing. I also won't sound super negative going into this one. Because the Saints have won their last seven against the Suns, which included the most recent AFO game to be played out in Townsville, I believe, in 2019. A couple of close ones in that time, a couple four-point road wins for the Saints. That one in 2019 was one, and then round 10 of 2020, the other. I remember the 2021 game just not being good, and the Suns losing it more than the Saints won it. Last year, the Saints won by 26 which was also part of the Easter round, I guess. Yeah, I don't think there's any story there. I, I think some of it might just be a matter of who's going to be at home for the Anzac round. And even though there's a week between the Easter round and the Anzac round, and, you know, like different holiday rounds, you know, want the same teams at home. I don't know. I don't know. What we do know is that St. Kilda will be without Jimmy Webster, who was added to their laundry list of injuries. In a friendly fire incident, he had his cheekbone broken. He's out five to six weeks, and he had just come back from a hand injury, too. So a spot opens up there for Ben Patton to come in after a strong VFL game. A lot of good VFL play for the for the Saints. Well, Sandrigham, as they beat Essendon. Jack Vitell and Tom Campbell both made their case after being emergencies on Saturday, and both Max Heath and Jack Paris are vying for debuts. 
Heath with five goals and 23 outs just immediately strikes me as a way to support Rowan Marshall immediately. And that's obviously something they've lacked with Patty Ryder having retired and Jack Hayes being hurt. Also, Mason Wood has been cleared of a serious shoulder injury. There was a real concern that it could have been something longer term with this AC joint, but he's a chance for Saturday. For the Suns, Sam Stupid Sexy Flanders is out about six weeks with an MCL injury. Their VFL team beat Geelong by 107. Brayton Fiorini had three goals. Kind of blows my mind that he was playing VFL. Rory Atkins and Bailey Humphrey played well in the forward group. Looks like Sean Levins and Charlie Constable did well defensively, but I'd still rather see Caleb Graham and Mac Andrew in. I, I say this a lot. Mac Andrew is Mac Andrew. Constable had high possession numbers early on, but I don't think was particularly effective. Humphrey's goal was just really notable because it was long. And with him being one of their more recent draftees, there is definitely some expectation building for him. So hopefully he gets in soon. Speaking of Long, this is going to be Ben Long's first game against his old club, assuming he's in. I think he's one that could move out. He didn't play very well, although he did have a spin move to set up a goal, although that was more Jack Bowes being bad at tackling than anything. Ooh, how feverish will the booze be for Ben Long? See, I always love some of these far less remarkable returns, like Jordan Clark returning to Cardinia Park. Or like how some of them get overshadowed. Like, I'm trying to think of a baseball example. Looking at current matchups, I can't think of that much. But when there's like, anytime there's a far bigger return overshadowing one, it's like Carlos Correa's return to Houston and Ryan O'Hearn's return to Kansas City. Fates favored by 14 and a half. That's probably about where I'd put it. The Suns have potential to be a lot better than they were last round, despite the opponent they played. Remember, they did not do all that much to win the game other than Lukosius and Miller being good. It was more just Cats being really shitty. These teams will also play around 18 on the Gold Coast, and I think we'll understand a lot more about both of them then. This matchup has more often than not lended itself to games where one team has lost rather than the other winning. I want good footy. A game being decided by a team really winning is better for footy. That ad still got the new ad smell to you? Yeah. You know, it, it stays for a couple of weeks. All right. It's only a couple of days old. I get that then. So we got two games running at the exact same time, like identical bounce times. I want, I want to see if we can line them up and they're like at the exact same second. I think that would be really cool. I think it would be hard for us to see unless you have like two windows open. Or you just have two computers like I do because I'm cool like that. Yeah, you do have a work computer. But there's probably about a 15 second delay, I think, between the Fox footy stream on our computers and what we get on our TVs when games are on. And uh, this one's going to be on TV. You got FS1 for the Swans and Power. Yeah, so it. I might, by that point, be totally hooked in Nomeo and Juliet fanfiction. Where the hell did that come from? My deepest desires. I don't want to question it, but at the same time, I want to question it. But, yeah, Sydney's hosting Port Adelaide. This just... I'm so used to this being a daytime matchup, and it's going to be a nighttime game. And I'm also used to this being a matchup in Adelaide. Their last four meetings have all been at the Adelaide Oval. 
and Port have won those, and Port have won all of those. They're on a six-game winning streak against the Swans. See, this is proving that the AFL can eventually break a trend. Like, you could have the Eagles host the Lions. It could be done. But anyway, 2.30 a.m. our time, 5.30 a.m., Eastern Time, 7 p.m. in Adelaide, and 7.30 in Sydney, where this game is actually being played. Like we said, it's on FS1. The Swans enter at 2-1. and one. They're in 5th after their loss at Melbourne, and Port Adelaide at 1-2, and two, sitting 13th after falling apart in the final minutes and losing to the Crows. I still don't know what to make of the whole team effort from Port, because it wasn't, you know, a big structural thing that changed in the fourth quarter, and it was individuals that I was mostly noticing for them throughout the game. I mean, what really was the system that they had going? The fact that I can't really see much definition of one doesn't help Ken Hinckley's cause. I can tell you that Port fans are pretty tired of him. They've been for a couple years, and losing a home showdown certainly does not help that. As for the Swans against the Power, Port Adelaide beat them by... 23 in round 14 last year. That was a really inspired effort from Port. They were undermanned in defense. Tom Clurry and Darcy Byrne-Jones were out, but Tom Jonas was excellent as a leader and just a defensive role player. And Riley Bonner had one of his best games of last year. And he was kind of invisible a lot of the other time and in the fourth quarter this past round. So... Maybe you'll see him exit the side and not play the Swans. As if it wasn't bad enough for Port's injuries going into that one. Brent Teagle broke his collarbone in the first or second quarter of his debut. And Zach Butters injured his knee. But even a rotation down, they soldiered on. Yeah, that was one that really threw me off because of the way those teams were playing at the time. Swans coming into this game. Dylan Stevens got subbed out last week. Harry Cunningham didn't play particularly well. Braden Campbell wasn't great, and they still haven't brought in Ryan Clark, Robbie Fox, Tom Hickey, Sam Reed. I'd just put Hickey in for Laddams, even though Laddams hasn't been bad, even though Hickey might not be 100%. Oh, if if he's not 100%, then sure, keep Laddams in, but could be a full game for Matt Roberts, who's been in as a sub, or maybe Angus Sheldrick debuts. He was one of the best in a loss at Casey last week. Rudy Edsall made an interesting point on Twitter. He said that the Swans had not conceded 134 since 2015, and it's the third biggest score they've ever conceded since John Longmire became the coach in 2011. I do think there was a time not that long ago where they gave up almost 134 that, that came to mind. I think I have the score of that game on a hat. Yeah, it was 133, right? Yeah, it was. That, was. that was cool. Sounds like Trent McKenzie is likely to return for Port at this point. He was very strong round one against the Lions before suffering an injury. And so that should shore up things defensively for them. Seems like an easy in for Riley Bonner if he is ready. Xavier Dersma also seems like he's vulnerable in terms of selection going to the forward half. He had a goal in the first and I remember because I remember talking about that bow and arrow celebration with you, Ethan, but he was subbed down for Orazio Fantasia, who seemed to have more of an impact. So that's a potential swap. In terms of Sandful performance, they didn't look great in the 
reserves showdown, but Jace Bergwin was good. Josh Sin, the number 12 pick in 2021, was relevant again. Mitch Georgiatis had one goal, but minimal impact outside of that kick, so maybe he'll have another week in reserves. I was thinking it might make sense for them to, once again, include a guy who's never lost. I don't care what he did last week. The fact is, he's 8-0. I'm undefeated. Never lost. Frank the Tank? It totally escaped me that he played as the medical sub in that game against the Lions. Now it just makes sense why they won that. I have another soundbot I have to use. What? I'm undefeated. Never lost. Good. He Did he actually play? Yeah, I played 23% of the match and had two touches. I'd be shocked if the power win this game. I hope they surprise me. I hope they keep this stimulating. Interesting use of the word stimulating. I want to see a bounce back game from Lockie Jones because he was really, really bad against the Crows, which is unfortunate because I like him. Notable for a couple particular errors in the fourth, not being able to mark by the goal line and allowing Riley Philthorpe to score his fourth goal and then point at him and thank him. Under that's like the second best point in any version of football in the last seven or eight years behind Jake Browning. Oh, that point against Oregon? Yes, it was awesome. That is one of the best taunts of all time. Was he going across the goal line when that was happening, or... I don't think he was quite there yet, but he knew he had a touchdown and just pointed at the defender. And it's not like the guy was far away from him either, but I just think that that sort of Phil Thorpe thing, that's that's the sort of... I, I would want to say banter, but there's no real talking, but just like... I, I like the way you described it when you first mentioned it. Going, you do that! Kind of a more assertive response to Lockie Jones saying, You can have it. And then Jones also did miss uh, a fist on a ball that Riken marked before he scored that goal after the siren. Lockie Jones did have a really nice round one, so we know what he can do. Hopefully he does bounce back. The bookmakers don't exactly like Port's chances, though. 18.5 point favorites, the Swans, factoring in that they're playing at home as well. I think the Swans win this game. I think the margin could be, like, anything. Like, you could tell me they win by 50, and I'd say, sure. You could tell me they win by less than the goal, and I'd say, yeah, I could see how that would happen. How accurate are Buddy and Amarty? That's going to determine things. Also, just like, Chad Warner and Luke Parker are coming off oddly quiet games. At least one of them will bounce back, if not both. The idea of them both being fully operational is pretty terrifying. I mean, even if it's just one of them, that's really good. But if you have both... Both of them, plus Golden... The Swans midfield in the next one to three years could be looked at as the best positional group the league has seen in a long time. So that'll be the last of the Saturday games along with the Saints and the Suns. Sunday starts with Essendon and GWS at Marvel Stadium. 2.10 p.m. local time, so 12.10 a.m. Eastern in the U.S., 9.10 p.m. Pacific Saturday night for us here on the West Coast. Another Fox Soccer Plus broadcast. Actually, neither of these Sunday games are going to be on US TV, which is disappointing because we only have two of them and they don't overlap. I was going to say, hey, we have no Sunday overlap, which is nice. Oh, it is nice. Yeah. Bombers come in at two and one. They're in sixth, coming off their first loss of the season. Giants at one and two, despite Carlton trying to give them every chance to win. 
He seems played in round 21 last year, and the Giants kind of took it to him, winning by 27. I think that was, I mean, if Rutten's fate hadn't already been sealed, that might have really done it. I remember that game on a more positive note for GWS than I do a negative note for Essendon. I remember the week before, after getting bludgeoned to the Sydney Derby by 73. That's a very polite way of saying shitted on. I like the word bludgeoned. I like the word shitted. Two T's, one D. But after that, I was going to say something about performance, but there really wasn't there. I was like, after that impotence against the Swans, Mark McVeigh really chewed out his players in the press saying that a lot of them checked out and the Giants responded. GWS have actually won the last four meetings against Essendon. For the Bombers, we'll see what's up with Brandon Zerk Thatcher. He's got that ankle injury. Matt Guelphy, who I thought should have been elevated from the sub role, now has a hamstring injury and is out for at least six weeks. Maybe that explains why he wasn't even an emergency last round. I guess that news just hadn't broken yet. That might be it, but he did look good in that role, and I, I like him as a player. He creates some extra speed in in the forward 50, and I'd like to see, when he's healthy, a lot more involvement, even though what Brand Scott's thrown out there has been pretty solid so far. Like, it's hard to criticize much of what they've done, although you said they have some forwards who were pretty ineffective last week. Yeah, Harry Jones was subbed out. Sam Wiedemann and Jake Stringer didn't do anything notable, though. Both of them had missed the previous round. Stringer, that was his first AFL action of the year. My bigger concern with Essendon's selection is Dyson Heppel because he was subbed out the first two games and doesn't look like a best 23 player anymore. Meanwhile, Nick Hind was impactful as a sub, helping shore up things defensively and also providing some run from halfback. So does Brad Scott like him as a sub or does he want him into the 22 for the beginning? From the VFL, Will Snelling played well. Patrick Voss put up four goals. He had already put up five in round one. And it looks like Quentin Narkel played really well, though he is currently on a VFL deal. The thing with Narkel, like I've said, he's a really quality scorer. He's got a lot of offense in town, but he plays one way. Don't expect any defensive contributions whatsoever. For the Giants, it's Xavier O'Halloran, which is a name that's surprisingly hard to say. It's not for me. There are other names that give me trouble, but that's not... Xavier O'Halloran. Maybe I was just trying to speak too quickly and... I don't know, you call Phil Xavier, and that could be a nickname? Xavier would totally fit as a a nickname. Also, just sounds like a Superman villain. But O'Halloran is a test to return from a quad injury, more likely to go to the reserves where Phil Davis played this week. Awesome that he's progressing toward a top-flight return. He would be so nice to have back because, like we've said about them many times, the defense isn't particularly good. Sam Taylor needs steadier support back there, and Davis certainly provides that when healthy. When healthy is a big asterisk, though. A lot of guys fighting for their debuts. Josh Fahey matched his draft slot from 2021 with 42 touches in their win over Carlton and was the highest-ranking player also, Aaron Cadman had three goals and picked 22 over this past year. Max Grzewski had four, so one of these weeks, they're finally going to get their opportunities, particularly Cadman, especially because I haven't seen much out of Jake Riccardi. I feel like there will be an 
easier swap for GWS to make to get their top pick in there. And if you're looking for a couple other guys to make way to get more of these debutantes in, Cooper Hamilton was subbed out again, and James Peatley hasn't done anything particularly notable yet. Also, 18 touches for Jason Gilby. Ah, yes, of course. We must mention the milkman. I really want him in there. Just for the sake of you doing a milk shoey. Just everything about him. Like, he's someone who I could see becoming, like, an international cult hero. Like, the sort of thing that could be on, like, the Weekly Dumb for John Boy or the Things You Missed where they actually had shown the end of the Richmond-Carlton game. Just, there's so much that could happen with this guy. Also, he just seems really funny. Like, just off what I've gotten off of, you know, his Instagram profile. Just, like, naturally funny. He doesn't have to work at it. I feel like there's a little bit of work, but it's not, like, over-the-top, ha-ha, look at me. Just, like, this is how he is. Essendon favored by 12 and a half. I'd probably favor them by a little bit more. I would as well, considering their general form over the first three rounds and what kind of scoring options they do have at their best. Archie Perkins continuing to work his way into things. Just good kicks from Jai Caldwell and Dylan Scheel. And if Harry Jones or Wiedemann or Strager can can look like they belong, then they could be somewhat overwhelming for a less stellar defensive group like the Giants. I also really like what I've seen out of Nick Martin. Oh, he doesn't just score goals in garbage time? No, he's actually just a pretty well-rounded player. Took you a bit to realize that. Like, there's more to him than just the actual offense. Pretty complete this past week. Into the high 20s for touches, I believe. And actual involvement. I'm going to do a little Chris Collinsworth type thing here. Now, here's a game where if it wasn't for all the injuries, this could be kind of interesting. Oh, I was expecting you to also slide toward me. Anyway, West Coast is hosting Melbourne at Optus Stadium. All of a sudden, it looks like last year's Eagles because everyone's hurt. And it sucks because we got a glimpse of what a healthier Eagles team can look like that's not good, but is at least competitive and actually compelling to watch. We saw it in really the middle quarters against GWS and then for a decent amount of the Western Derby, even as they started getting more and more depleted. The first quarter was super impressive kick. Five goals? Yeah, three of them from Oscar Allen. And it's just it's just starting to give a sense of like, okay, this is this is maybe in, you know, the list's current state, not a great team, but one that can, you know, be on the cusp of final spot if everything goes right, which is still not an enviable place to be, but it makes them watchable week in and week out. And they were kind of dictating the pace against Frio was was a fun surprise for anyone that's not a Frio fan. And then damage, damage, damage. Oh, shit. Here we go again. Worst fucking injury list in the world. Benjamin, you're the Eagles fan. Why don't you say it? Just go through. All right, yeah. So Luke Shuey has a hamstring injury. That's the shortest term of these. Two to three weeks there. Sucks because of how well he was going at the start of the game, too. Took on Luke Jackson early on, started scores, and then all of a sudden was out. And he knew what it was immediately. Then Jeremy McGovern did his hamstring. He had surgery on that. It's a pretty major 
hamstring injury for him. And this is not just a pull. This is like a insignificant tear. Yeah. Yep. And it, it's months on the sidelines for him. Then in the second half, Alex Witherden got concussed. So he's in protocols. Well, then wouldn't his recovery time be shorter than Shuey? Maybe. Depends on the turnaround for next week. Then Jamie Cripps had his ankle broken in a tackle. Again, nothing, you know, malicious. It just didn't turn right. And then Liam Ryan also had a hamstring issue after it looked like it was more of a knee thing at first after coming down awkwardly from a big jump. So he's had surgery too. And a lot of timelines still to be determined for West Coast. But what is more certain is that Elijah Hewitt is likely into the 22 after being the sub the first couple rounds. And Greg Clark seems particularly likely to join the midfield. A lot of other players can factor in there. Jai Cully, Xavier O'Neill, who was one of the more impactful kind of score involvement guys in the later part of the year that I want to see more of in a midfield and half forward spot. Could see the return of Jack Petrocelli, which would be good just from a speed standpoint. And hopefully both Josh Rotham and Hoff are in for their season debuts. I've been a very big fan of Hoff from the first time I saw him working through the waffle. And then Rotham is one of the steadier kind of second tier defenders, I'd say, for the Eagles and can do some spot ruck work. So anything to get Bailey J. Williams out of the ruck as much as good. But he broke his arm in the later part of the summer and has finally worked his way back from that enough to be considered for selection. Now, Elliot Yo is expected in having gotten over a calf injury, but something else will happen. He's Elliot Yo. He was born with glass bones and paper skin. Could we see another player, like, getting in an elevator a couple minutes before a game because all of a sudden he's got to play? The Eagles just need to have Declan Mountford on call constantly. It, it's like Footy's version of the emergency backup goalie, which, by the way, even if you're not into the NHL, the idea of the emergency backup goalie is awesome. It can just be like, basically, you have a list of dudes to call up. Like, literally, guys who have never played in the NHL, that's one of the rules. They have to have never played in the league before. These are often, you know, like, rec league guys who happen to be on call in case both teams' goaltenders can't play. Yeah, so when I said call up, I don't mean call them up for the minors. I mean, like, call them on the phone. And, you know, it's, it's like, oh, yeah, he played a little bit in college, and now he's, you know, the team's web design guy, or he uh, he's a facilities operator at their minor league arena and sometimes has to drive the Zamboni. Real story, this was a guy that played and ended up recording a win for the Carolina Hurricanes against the Maple Leafs. But, yeah, this also that sometimes it's like, you know, you're in the emergency backup goalie, not for just this team, but this team or you know, whoever's in town against them. Exactly. I mean, you, you get a jersey. Off, most of the time, you're just kind of sitting there on the bench or if the bench is too small in the at the, like the very edge of the locker room. But Declan Mountford running to get down to the rooms and having that little inset there at the start of the round two game is the closest you'll get to that. And this totally could have been a trap game had the Eagles been healthy. I mean, I feel like it's hard to have a trap game with the length of the trip to Perth, but sandwiched between a huge win over the Swans and then games against, you play the Gather round. against the Bombers and you have Richmond after that and the Anzac Eve matchup. This could have been a spot, you know, kind of a 
to borrow a term from solid verbal, a letdown look ahead spot. And now it's just unfortunately everything that makes this game compelling kind of goes away with how injured the Eagles are. I mean, I'm compelled to watch because I want to see if Jacob Van Royen can put up a few goals again and watch because it's footy and because it's going to be the only game on. But I just want to see the younger pieces for Melbourne continue to work well. And I don't know, maybe there will just be something about them playing in Perth that'll cause them to dominate even more. Maybe this will turn into baby-making footy. Maybe it'll go past that. It'll probably be a good time to play Wordle and every other dumb game I play. I have, like, a whole folder of them. Now, one of the younger pieces that I've really liked has really emerged in these first few rounds for Melbourne is Cade Chandler, but I don't expect him to play as prominent a role here in round four, and I think there's a pretty obvious reason for it. Kazi Pickett being back from his suspension? Yeah, I think that would just kind of naturally take away some link-up and scoring opportunities for him. I want him to still be involved like that, maybe kind of have the two of them play on opposite sides in the half-forward group and venturing into the forward 50, or maybe have Chandler playing a bit more toward the midfield, but it's a crowded list already. And bringing in Kazi means it's just even more of a squeeze. I feel like this is such a bad matchup for the Eagles because without Nathanui, you got Bailey Williams in there to go up against a team that can go center clearance goal, center clearance goal, center clearance goal. And it could end up similar to last year's meeting, which was also at Optus. The Demons won that game by 74. Yep, 74. The Ds have won three of the last four meetings. Now, the strange thing about this matchup is that they have not played each other in Melbourne since round two, 2014. This will be the 12th game between the Ds and Eagles since then. Ten of them will have been in Perth after Sunday, plus one in Darwin and one in Alice Springs. Maybe they just like the Eagles having the same road matchups? I don't know. We mentioned Kazi Pickett also... Ben Brown was subbed out with a back injury, but he's expected to be back in, so that could shut the door for Tom McDonald. From the VFL, McDonald played well, as did Adam Tomlinson. Both responding well to their understandable omissions. McDonald has bounced back and forth a bit the past couple years, just kind of with how crowded the four group has been at times. And with the defense looking solid for the most part, I think it makes it even tougher for McDonald to come back in as kind of a flex piece or for Tomlinson to factor in that way, because you could slide Harrison Petty back if needed. It's also just hard to make changes after you put up 134. D's favored by 42 and a half. Should this be even higher, Ethan? No, I still think this version of the Eagles will be better than some of the versions we saw last year. I want to see just how many center clearance goals we get. It, that could make things pretty ugly. I mean, with this matchup being the way it is, uh, with the ruck and hit to advantage dominance you expect Melbourne to have. I mean, without it, Max gone. Without Max gone, yes. Mostly just with Brody Grundy in there and maybe Jacob Van Royen getting some action. Even then, 200 is not out of the realm of possibilities. I still think that's highly unlikely. If it gets above, like, 150, I'd be shocked. Still don't think it's impossible. So I, I mentioned that one's probably going to get ugly. Uh, speaking of ugly, Geelong playing Hawthorne at the G... Easter Monday. I think it's going to be a disappointing crowd. I don't know. I feel like it's hard for the crowd for this one to not be good. I don't know. The way that 
Geelong have started the season and this being their home game. I don't think that's going to affect things that much because there's a lot of tradition in this game. It's going to be at 3.20 p.m. on April 10th. That's 1.20 a.m. on the East Coast of the U.S. For us on the West Coast, it'll still be Sunday night. That'll be 10.20 p.m. and it'll be televised on FS2. Ladder positions, uh, 18 versus 17. Yeah. Is this the Harley readoff we didn't see coming? I hope not. Again, North started 0-3 in 76 after winning the flag in 75. Now, they did have a much better 76 after that, but the point is they won the grand final at 77. So watch Jai Clark and Harley Reid be major pieces for the Cats' 2024 flag. And Darcy Parrish. You know, the nice thing, there was already enough motivation heading into this game after last year's loss, a game where the Hawks got off to a big start, Cats had to catch up and then kind of ran out of steam at the end. That game kind of taught me about this rivalry and, like, even though I haven't been around for, like, you know, the big finals matchups, it's there's something about seeing, like, damn, these guys really hate us. I want to make them miserable. And I hope that's the approach that the team takes. And I hope mentally they come into this one right. I hope they spend some time looking at how shitty they were against Gold Coast on film, but also compare that to some of the finals run last year. Not just the grand final, but the prelim against Brisbane, because they need to see this is what this team looks like at its best. Because right now they're they're far from it. Like this is the first time in my three years as a Geelong fan, two years as a member, or really in any of my four years watching footy, where I've gone into a Geelong game not excited to watch this team. Like even in 2021, like you knew going into the prelim against the Demons. All right, this is going to be an uphill battle, but I wasn't like not excited to watch them. So this this is uncharted territory, and I'm sure compared to what other teams have to go through, it's pretty insignificant. But my excitement comes from just knowing just how motivated they've got to be for this, and the expectation that this game will be an entertaining sort of ugly. Just teams going really hard at it at each other. I expect some physicality in this. I expect Geelong being particularly willing to engage in it. I'd love that. Normally, you don't need that because things are going well, but you need that spark right now. It's like sometimes in hockey, your team's playing like shit. You send someone out there basically just, hey, go fight somebody. We just need the energy, and that might go a long way here. Well, what energy could you have maybe from some new faces being in? The problem is, you know, the VFL team played like shit last week there are a lot of guys who i think should be dropped and i want to see that that tweet or headline you know geelong have swung the axe ahead of the easter monday clash with six changes let's be more realistic though i mean yeah brandon parfit was the most active in their vfl showing though they could be in he should and then he'll also give you some speed which the team has none of right now cooper white and sam simpson i guess stand a chance as well in the midfield but Speaking of speed, that's where Sam Menegola would be really nice to have. But um, of the guys who are available, Jake Kolajashny, I'm surprised this concussion has kept him out so long, but he played VFL last week. There's a chance for Mitch Duncan. We'll see about Reese Stanley. Not that he's played that well, but John Seglar is just old. I'd rather see a much younger Ruckman. If you're going to even have one, you could just let Blitzobs do that stuff. I'm already not looking forward to facing Lloyd Meek because 
he killed us last year. How traumatized are you by that? They won the flag. It was a home loss. Those don't happen. Also, Jai Newcomb killed us last year, and he only got fined instead of suspended, so get to deal with him in a midfield that's already not very good. The good news is there should be opportunities for Jeremy Cameron. Maybe Finn McGinnis goes to him? I could see it with Cameron's full field capabilities, which quite honestly are underrated. People see him as the Coleman medalist and perennial former Giants leading goal kicker that he is and don't realize what he's capable of in other spots on the field. Frankly, I'd just double him all game. Until someone else starts playing well enough that you need to have, you know, all 18 versus 18, I would say put two guys on him and then it's your other 16 against their other 17. As for Hawthorne's injuries, Chad Wingard's been out the past couple rounds after tweaking his calf against Essendon in round one. He's a test to return. Not much to go off from the VFL this week because they had a bye, but in their first round, Denver Granger Barass and Ned Long were in good form. Do want to also wish the best for Jai Sarong, who we liked in his limited AFL time last year. Pericarditis is no joke, and it's putting him out of activity for at least two months. Cats favored by 30 and a half, which is just insane. Bet all the Hawks here. Like, look, I don't love Geelong's chances of winning because of how awful last week was. At the same time, I know that the Cats playing a decent game shouldn't be good enough to win unless the Hawks do something outlandish. And if both teams play at their best, Geelong handles this easily. I want to blow them out. I want to be happy to watch my favorite team, and I want you to be happy ahead of our recording session, which will probably occur right after that game, because it's going to be late enough already. We like pushing it out on Australian Tuesday. But yeah, I just, uh, it's a weird position to be in, and it's definitely going to make me more grateful for when the guys are singing the song, and hopefully they'll be spraying a bunch of debutantes with water and Gatorade, but... I expect three changes at most. I think two or three is a minimum just injury base. So hopefully it's more than that. But what's the likelihood of a Chris Scott late change here? Like, what's your percentage chance here? 65. Because he hasn't done it in three weeks. And at this point, you're just looking for anything that can spark something. Whether he's doing it to spark his own guys, throw off Sam Mitchell's game plan, because I think Sam Mitchell's in damn good coach, or just, again, because you need different vibes, whatever it is, let's let's go do it. I would make, like, three late changes. Why not? Nothing is too drastic. On that note, as we're wrapping up here, it's time for our main character picks for this week. We've done this the first few rounds. Again, main character could be the main character for any reason. Doesn't even have to be a player. It can be inanimate objects. Thus far, we've had the round one main character being round two, the Gabba Lights, and round three, Jamari Yugle Hagen. Are we going to go back to an inanimate object here? I do like the inanimate carbon rods chances. This inanimate carbon rod. But I'm just going to go with, and I'm casting a wide net here, some kid in the crowd. 
Like, you remember the kid in, I think it was Sydney a couple years ago, you know, didn't want to give the Sharon back and was hugging it. Something like that. Or like the guys who took off with the Sharon at the end of the Hanson and Hawthorne game the first round. Yes, that sort of stuff. Just someone in the crowd that's like obviously below the age of, I don't know, 15. The difference is I think it was at least adolescents or like late, late teens who were taking the Sharons out at the end of that game this year. Yeah, it's got to be someone who looks like they were born in the 2010s. All right, 13 or younger. Benjamin, you you got a pick? I mean, we haven't had a coach be a main character yet, and I'm surprised that Ross Lyon hasn't given us enough good sound bites. You had Chris Fagan some, saying something recently like, oh, it's let's pick on Joey week. Yeah, I, I saw that tonight before we started. I mean, it, it was a good point to give, so... I mean, Figs is already trending toward being sort of an important character for that. I'm not going to pick him because I think it would be too easy. So, Stuart Dew. Stuart Dew is my main character pick. He has good box reactions, and I just think he's going to say something that's going to catch on, regardless of what the result from this game is. And with the way that matchup has gone, you know, teams tend to lose it rather than win it. So, I think he could have something that really just sticks with us. How many games this round do you think are, you know, up for grabs at the final siren? Like a, you know, within a goal. Because as we said, this isn't a round that jumps off the page with what you think are going to be a lot of great games. So I think we might end up instead getting a bunch of them or at least super, super close games. They don't have to be well played to be close. I'm going to go a little bit further back. I think we're going to have four games that are within two goals in the final two minutes. Are we going to, what round will we get in after the siren? Are we both placing our bets now? Or will there be one? Because a lot of times you can go a season without one. I, I think we're bound to get one at some point. I think there might only be like one this year, though. Just they've been pretty abundant lately. Yeah, I mean, there are 56 that are that have been recorded, I think, since 1913. And in our time watching, we've seen eight of them already. Two in 2023, three each the past two years. This could really be a year that we go without one, but if we do have one this year, I think it would be really funny if it came in the gather round and there weren't all that many home fans for either team to cheer it on. I think, you know what we're due for? Is someone missing a potential game-winning kick after the siren? Like, not just, you know, got a vomit from 60, but like an actual reasonable set shot or like someone playing on on a snap as the siren sounds and losing that way just something weird okay but if you are placing your bets i think we're gonna have we could have two games within six points where we're like describing the fourth quarter action in great detail and when will we see our after the siren goal if we have one what round uh without even looking at the schedule round 17 but the humor in it i kind of do want it to be round five but round 17 Frio and Carlin have had one recently with the Jack Nunes one it would be cool to see it going the other way and then oh man imagine Richmond and Sydney again having some last second craziness that is actually also in the gather round but I'm thinking back to the whole thing that happened at the SCG last year all right well we're doing a lot of, you know, future talk here, longer term future. Let's just specific predictions. Let's get through this round. 
Find us on Twitter at Americans Footy. Find me on Twitter at Castle Media. Find me at BenjaminHK01. Find Grian Harambe, the footy cat, sleeping very comfortably near the foot of Ethan's bed and on Instagram at cat named Grian. We'll see you after round four, and by then we'll be even closer to taking count of how many SpongeBob sound bites we use. <laughs>